the, probably the only people whose stuff I've sort of pursued and tried to because there's the running, jumping, standing still film with the that they made, which has got Leo McKernan and people like that, uh, with Dick Lester, and you know who ended up doing Hard Day's Night. So that that sort of and the and the Beatles were into the Goons, which is the other thing. And there's a, a strand running through there because George Martin produced um, Beyond the Fringe. So I mean, there's, it, it's interesting that you know Yellow Submarine could be a Goons record, the bit in the middle with all the noise. <laughs> Goonpod. Uh, this week, I am extremely lucky to be joined by a man who really doesn't need an introduction. It is comedian Al Murray. Uh, Al joined me from his hotel room in Edinburgh. He's currently touring uh, with uh, the pub landlord, and he and I talked about um, all sorts of things, um, including the goons. Uh, so I hope you enjoy the conversation. We, we've got a day off in Edinburgh here because we come up to Scotland to do some shows. So I've actually I've just got clear time. Um, uh, and I'm on a writing deadline, so you know, we, we, uh, anything to avoid having to write the thing I've got to write. Right. Uh, what is this? Is this is this for the show? Is this something separate? No, I'm doing. We're, we're doing a live spitting image stage show thing next year, and um, that it's that. Right. And right. Um, uh, which is an incredibly exciting project, but also really quite quite twisty. Figuring out what what we're going to do, um, what's going to be in it, and how you avoid the problem basically of um it, we can't do the week's news because it's basically that's basically impossible yeah so how you do how you do a sort of zeitgeisty show with all the right people in it that tells a kind of tells a story of our of our time and all that sort of um things quite quite tricky it's like a fable so oh, okay. um you know a journey through the modern the modern world with celebs and politicians and all that and and you tell it you, you tell a you tell a sort of big story um, but and then and then inside that you do the topical thing and it's um it, but the, the the interesting thing about it is the puppets are, are, you know the puppets are life size they're enormous and you don't get the sense of the physicality on the on the TV on the TV screen yeah. you really you really really do on a stage and the puppets are incredibly striking so so it's quite exciting to be doing something where you know we can have anyone we want in it we can have we can have we can cast anybody in it because they're puppets so you can. Absolutely. Have Tom Cruise in it if you want. You know, you, you know what I mean. Without having to, without having to pay for Tom Cruise. At least, at least that's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic! So that sounds great. So, um, that's going to be a logistical nightmare. I would have thought getting all that. Yeah, but I'm together. just writing it. I'm right. writing it. That, 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 the logistical nightmare is, is falls squarely into the someone else's problem. Uh, uh, <laughs> great. So, uh, so you're in Edinburgh, like you say. Um, yeah. Gig, gig for victory. Yes, yes. We we basically, although these shows actually, they are actually um, vestigial remnants of uh, a tour extension in 20, 2020 that, that that got pulled because of the pandemic. So, um, strictly speaking, these are these are these are gigs from a very long time ago because uh, because everything got everything got thrown up in the air. Yeah. So let me say, okay. So the the last ten years, if you look back at twenty twelve. There was, that yeah. was such a unifying time, really, wasn't it, with the Olympics and everything? Yeah. And then the last 10 years, 
there's been a lot of fragmentation. There's been a lot of polarization and and yeah. and, and a lot going on. And how has that affected sort of audience re- reaction and response to the oh, pub, well, the pub it, landlord, for example? There's, there's tons to write about. It's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, I, you know, uh, um, times of national unity. I mean, uh, what what I think's really, 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 really interesting about the moment uh, about things at the moment is we. Uh, and it, you've got to be careful with how you play it as a comic. But, but the pandemic, for instance, offers a subject which everyone knows the same fundamental things about. Yeah. In a way, in a way that you know Brexit didn't, or whatever. Like Brexit was interesting about Brexit. It was, it was a big event, and lots of people were for it, and lots of people were against it, and lots of people didn't care, and lots of people wanted everyone to shut up about it, whatever. But it didn't. It didn't affect us the way the pandemic did, where we were all locked in our houses, and. Dennis Norden said, a re- I re- read a obituary of Dennis Norden when mm. he died because I was a big fan of his. And he said something very interesting about after the war, you had this amazing opportunity as a comedian because you could talk, there was stuff you could talk about. And, and there, there, there was no, if you talked about a ration card, everyone knew what it was. Yeah. If you, you know, uh, and that you, you had this very peculiar. And he said, you know, obviously as time then progressed, that faded. But you had this central experience that everyone could relate to, and I, and I think we've got a bit of that going on with the with the funnily enough, with the pandemic. Um, yeah, just sort of you know it, it, we we were all locked in. We, everyone was locked in their houses. Everyone watched those government broadcasts about how we had to stay home. Everyone you know knows about the the vaccination. Everyone knows about furlough. Every you know you know what I mean. Yes, it's yes, it's really really interesting, and I, and I think um, that's I think partly what's happening in the goon show after all is that they're talking about a subject everyone knows about and that's why they're able to be so sort of crazy about it because they're talking about the war absolutely we'll come to that in a minute um yeah dennis norden what a man though God. yeah because yeah. he now correct me if i'm wrong you'll know this better than me but i'm going from memory here didn't wasn't he there at the liberation of belson um you know what i i, I don't know he i mean he may have been um I mean, he may have been in the he, he, he may have been in the unit that did it and and and, and went and because people people did people did sort of go visit. I'm not sure. That's mm. an excellent that's an excellent question because you know the foot because after all the footprint of that um, on on people, you know, is, is easy to, is easy to sort of forget. Um, mm. Yes, he did. He he did. Yeah, with Eric Sykes. Yeah. Yeah. He went there. I, I've just sorry. I've just googled this. Um, <laughs> he he. he Norden, accompanied by fellow performers Eric Sykes and Ron Rich, went to a nearby prison camp in search of stage lighting. The camp turned out to be Bergen Belson. There you go. Wow. Blood, bloody hell. And of course, Sykes is another connection with the goons. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Bloody. Um, everyone says this about you. Obviously, people, <laughs> well, people shouldn't make the mistake of confusing you with the character of the pub landlord. <laughs> <laughs> do they still do yeah. that? Do you no, still do- not, re- not really. And I kind of think, um, God, God bless those that do. You know. <laughs> Good luck uh, to them. <laughs> but obviously you're steeped in history and you studied history yeah. at Oxford. And, and yeah. I guess it's fair to say the last decade or more, a lot of what you've been involved with has been related to history or particularly Second World War. Yes. Um, yeah. You've got this yeah. podcast, We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Yeah. So, so is that your, is the Second World, is it fair to say the Second World War is your, your topic, your subject. Yes, I mean, uh, and, and very much because um, my father was my father was absolutely it was always absolutely fascinated by it, and um, and kind of really the military side of things because he was a soldier for a bit, and I think he was sort of 
really fascinated by it. But I also, you know, growing up, I, I was born in 1968. Growing up in the 70s, the Second World War was sort of um, in British culture. I think was was a was a big thing. You know, there was Action Man, there was Airfix, there was the Royal mm. Tournament, there was a there was a sort of peculiar, vibrant, you know, the Battle of Britain films and things. Lots lots of, I mean, movies really, which when you which which you know, really think about it is obviously a completely understandable way of a, of, 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 of a country digesting something culturally. But the fact that it, it, I, it really fascinated me, but as I've got older, obviously you come away from the idea that it's a sort of big adventure with explosions and you, and you realize what a colossal massive event it is. And uh, doing the podcast, which I do with James Holland, who's a, you know, who's a, he's a historian. I'm a, I'm an enthusiast. Yeah. The stuff I've learned about stuff all over the world, and also the realization that really I didn't know anything very much about it at all. Not not really. I knew some bits, but I didn't know very much about it at all. It's the sort of is the, the, the sheer scale of it as an event, the sheer size of it, and the fact that that you know what was happening in China went on longer and was as easily as bloody as what went on in Europe and, and all sorts of stuff that we just we are not at all. Um, aware of i think in in this country and certainly not in our view of the second world war here yeah i guess the for the average um, per, the average person could really only scratch the surface yeah 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 because yeah, yeah. I, I i grew up well i was born in the 70s i yeah you know, i was i was conscious of things going on in the 80s let's put it that way um yeah and i can remember things like that i'll say this to some friends of mine the the death of klaus barbie um yeah. uh rudolf hess um, yeah i think yeah. Me, i think Mengele as well yes although yeah. I, I sometimes wonder if i'm conflating that with watching boys from brazil i'm not sure um <laughs> <laughs> this is this is part of the issue isn't it is that it's part of our um part of our um cultural hinterland that was it a piece of entertainment or a news headline we don't know yeah yeah you i remember I, I do remember very clearly that even in the 80s that at school the rumors that hitler was still alive yeah living somewhere in argentina uh it's uh, but but the, the the further we get away from the second world war the, that sort of that just recedes doesn't it well yes it's certainly less likely that he's still alive <laughs> <laughs> well quite yeah <laughs> he'd be 130 or something he? <laughs> <laughs> um so before we just a couple of other quick things before we start yeah. talking about you know the reason that i asked you to, to come on yes. um yeah. all right i'm gonna say it okay because i i, yeah. I I love Vanity Fair. Okay. Ah, <laughs> brilliant. Um, and obviously I appreciate that you are the, what are you, the great, great, great grandson of Thackeray or what's the? Three, gra- three greats. Yes. Three greats. Three greats. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I want your advice um, on something. Okay. Um, cool. I've, I've read Vanity Fair about 20 odd years ago and really enjoyed yeah. it. And, and um, yeah. Uh, George Osborne's in it, and Dobbin, yes. and uh, all sorts of, it's, it's yeah. sprawling, isn't Becky it? Becky Shot. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I've had Pendennis downloaded on my Kindle for about six years. Now, should I read it? <laughs> um, that's an excellent question. I am, I am, when I was a kid, we had a great aunt who was very much keeper of the Thackeray flame. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so I did what any sensible um, child would do. I didn't want anything to do with it. Right. And I didn't read any Thackeray for a very, very long time. Just was not interested. Yeah. It wasn't going to be sort of canalized into um, 
because I didn't like Dickens, and I and you know when you told well it's Dickens and Thackeray at the time, and, yeah. But I don't like Dickens, right? So so you know what's in it for me? Um, and so I have not read very much Thackeray, kind of out of sort of mulish rebellion, but also because I've been you know my, my mother is my mother is not the sort of uh, um, you know uh, unquestioning unconditional keeper of a Thackeray flame or anything. She says, read the ones that are good. And, the, and, and, and it's Vanity Fair that's good. You, you know, don't go for Pendennis if you don't want to. The, the masterpiece is the masterpiece. And it truly is. An, I mean, I think Vanity Fair truly is an amazing book. Yeah. Absolutely incredible book. Yeah. Extraordinary novel. But he put, I mean, as far as I understand it, he put all his eggs in that basket. <laughs> Fair enough. That that will never be read. Um, <laughs> uh, you're into prog rock as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is what's that? I mean, is that just uh, always been into that, or did you? Did well, you at school, it? everyone at, at school, everyone was into punk, and it and it seemed, you know, because they all wanted to be uh, different to everyone else, but they they were all into the same thing. So prog felt like a sort of um, felt like a sort of place I could carve out for myself because music, enough. music, music was tribal, you know, when we were kids. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a passion you share with fellow comedian Jim Davidson, of course. Really, is it? <laughs> yeah. I did, did you not know I did that? Not, I did not know that, but he, there you go. <laughs> he's all about the prog. Um, I had no idea. Anyway, and, oh, and of course, um, the, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Steve Davis. Um, yes, Steve is, Davis I knew was a big progger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, Britain's foremost Magma fan, I think. Yes, he is, um, yeah. And he, he's a prog rock DJ as well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. yeah. He's, he's yeah. a very interesting man. Yeah, he is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Right, who, who's better than um, who's the better band, Focus or Greenslade? Ah, uh, Focus. Okay. Focus, yes, yes. Yeah. But um, <laughs> Greenslade is a link worthy of Pebble Mill, because obviously Greenslade yes. is uh, um, is a name familiar to Goon Show fans. And um, <laughs> sorry, I really worked on that. I really no, that was very definitely that. done. <laughs> That's done. Yeah, so obviously this podcast is ostensibly about. The goon, the goon show. show. What's well, the goon show? But also, uh, I wanted to have it a bit broader and, or a lot broader, and just so that we could cover anything about anything that's got a goon connection. So any, you know, Sellers yeah. Films, Milligan yeah. TV, um, yeah. even Highway. If God damn it, if I need to, you know, in the future. <laughs> Vomity a true of the signal section sorted in. He had a large set of protruding teeth, but for this feature, he would have been ugly. Seeing the luxury we were living in, he said, "You cunning bastards." You know where I slept last night? Sitting up in the bleeding cursey. We tried to soothe them with gifts of cold porridge. True said he thought we were going to Scotland. Why Scotland? Well, I tell you. We're going to make landings in Norway. It's the second front, mate. We'll link up with the Russians. Oh, Christ, Grenadine. Norway, that's done it. Why? I told my family it was Malta. What about my family? I told them Bournemouth. Before we start talking about the goons, I, I suppose, in a way, Spike's war memoirs, I would yes. imagine, are very dear to you. Is that, yes. is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, I remember those big... My, my father was a huge Spike fan, right? And, and all of this comes from my dad. Mm. I, I remember them being in, in my parents' loo. And, and when, when I was little, you, you know, you'd read the funny caption pictures. Yeah. You'd read the sort of um, Hitler, Hitler, and, Hitler and Goebbels sketches or whatever, you know, and the cartoons and all that. And and you'd think this guy is this guy is really fun. It's bananas, but it's being it's being transmitted to me from another planet. As you get older, you read the books, and you maybe read them, and, and you, you you laugh at the laugh because the, the banter is sort of relentless and really really funny. 
And then actually, as you get older, you realize what they're about. And and the, 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 they, the whole thing leads to him having his um, combat fatigue breakdown in, in Italy in the, in the, you know, start of 1944. And that Spike gets as far as he does without that happening to him is because of the friendships he has, because the army is looking after him, because Chater Jack's a wonderful officer and cares about his men, because the regiment's being run really, really sort of extraordinary, actually, strangely compassionately, mm. which is not a thing I think people think of an, of the army as sort of being capable of. Mm. And, and, and then they're about how he tries to piece himself back together after his breakdown and his love affair with Italy and him, grow, you know, him being for sort of in a strange way, having to grow up. Because I think one of the interesting things about Spike is that sense of childish wonder at the world. And before he joins the army, he's still very, although he's quite old, older than the others, if I remember rightly, he's the sort of man-child is the feeling I get. You know, the goon child wandering, wandering through the world, not make, not really like making sense of it, living in the kind of dream world, wanting to be a trumpeter, sort of doing well at that, but also, you know, you wonder what would have happened to Spike Milligan had the war not come. Yeah, well, I wonder that about most of post-war British yes. entertainment. Yes. Um, yeah. would, they, would they have carried on working at Baldwin's factory? Yeah, yeah. Or whatever yeah, it may be, you know. Yeah, because because the thing is, is the thing is, is the, the, the war is not a catalytic event because it because it, it comes and it changes absolutely everything, uh, you know, and and changes itself as it progresses. You know, it's it's not it's not like Britain's catalyzed by the war. Milligan isn't catalyzed by the war. He's sort of radically changed by it. And you do what all of those people, Kenneth Williams, you know, what would he? What, what on earth would have he have done? Yeah. And the, and the fact that the fact that um. I mean, I think it's, again, it, it's a really interesting thing. The army has got sort of the bend in it to allow people like them to, to gravitate to concert parties in the end. You know, and Milligan's, Milligan's um, the care they, the care he gets put into, because um, they've obviously written him off as a soldier. They know they can't use him soldiers. They get him doing sort of desk work and stuff. Then they realise actually they'd be better off having him paint places and, mm. and then he gravitates to the Bill Hall trio and all that. And, you, you you can see that actually in a strange way, although you know he, 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 there's a bit of him that really hates the army. They've taken quite they've taken fairly good care of him in the circumstances because they not you know the, 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 there's a very very good book um, uh, uh, browned off and bloody minded by a historian called Alan Allport about the army in the war and how it dealt with you know people who didn't want to be soldiers because the the, the the, the sort of social experiment of the Second World War is that the army is filled up with people who aren't soldiers, that don't want to be soldiers, civilians and civilian soldiers who need looking after and, and also have to vote, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So that it's a different, it's a new relationship the army has to have. And actually, if you have a if you have a battlefield breakdown, if you have combat fatigue, and of course the name keeps changing for that. We yes. call it PTSD, we'd call it PTSD, but they wouldn't, so you can't call it that. Um, and it wasn't shell shock anymore because they'd moved on from that idea. But basically, the, 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 what the army really wanted to do is if you had a breakdown, they wanted to, to get you back at the front line because that was your job to fight. But they also understood some people they couldn't. And that's what's really interesting with Spike is they go, actually, you know what? You, you, you're not, you, we, can't, we can't make you do this, so we won't. Mm. And, and I, I, it, it, it's just fascinating. And that, that time in Italy afterwards where, where he sort of, Living in a living in a kind of stately home and and he's piecing himself together and, and runs into um Seacombe. It's just such an interesting time. And you really do get the feeling that 
that um, although, you know, he's gone through this appalling thing, it is the thing that turns him into the, the comedy genius, the towering comedy genius. You know, the man who actually, I think, creates the entire post-war comedy scene that we're still in the wake of. You know, I think he's as powerful to British comedy as Beatles are to pop music. Mm, yeah. Um, and world comedy as a result, because nothing that the Pythons could do could possibly have existed without Milligan having, having popped the whole thing wide open. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. It's just impossible. I mean, Peter Cook. Peter, I don't know if you know this, Peter Cook, when he was possibly, he was still at Radley. So we're yeah. talking maybe mid-50s, something like that. Yeah. He wrote a, it wasn't a Goon Show script, but it was obviously inspired by the Goons. Yeah, yeah. And he just submitted, I think he just submitted it to the BBC somehow or yeah. other. And, and yeah. somehow or other, it landed on Milligan's desk. Right. And this would have been, what, 55, 56, something like that maybe. And yeah. Milligan, it went so far as to write to Cook, and they met up and had dinner together. And, no. and there's no record. I think they both drank a lot of wine. So there's no record of what yeah. was actually said yeah. at this meal. Because, he, you know, Cook would have been a, a teenager. Um, yeah. But it was only a couple of years after that, of course, that we, that we get Beyond the Fringe. And you just wonder what sort of words of wisdom Milligan may have in, imparted to Cook. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or, or inspiration, you know. Yeah, how, how helpful he was on, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that is fascinating. Because, I mean, I, my, my sort of bone in contention with the whole thing is that, is that, and is that the, the Goon Show um, get, always gets left out of the story of British satire. And you get this idea that there's the satire boom in the 60s. And that's when we started disrespecting governments in this country in a way that, in a way that, you know, revolutionised everything. Well, do you think, well, First of all, read some, look at some Regency cartoons. Read some, yeah. Read some pamphlet, read some pamphlets from two hundred years ago, please. Um, before you before you make that kind of assertion. But I think the truth about the satire, or the thing about the satire boom, is that the people doing it are the people who, who in a, you know, ought to be working in the Foreign Office. That's the thing about Peter Cook. So that's where the shock comes from, is that the, you know, the people flicking V's at the establishment are people who should have been in the establishment or, or, or even part of it. Whereas, because Milligan's, you know, I mean, he's, he, he, he again, he occupies this peculiar place because he's, they're, they're, you know, they're Raj returnees. His father was an officer, but he wasn't a high-ranking officer. Mm. So, they're, so they're, they're sort of this peculiar Indian-Irish immigrants to England. They offer, they occupy very strange, Milligan, the Milligan's offer this very peculiar place in, in, you know, entirely imperial in British culture from out. So he's sort of he's from outside as yeah, well. Yeah. In, in a way that in in a way that I think it really informs his view. You know, everything's everything needs explaining to him. Everything's not quite right. Everything's not his idyllic childhood in India. Everything's this sort of grey grey drab world. And 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 I think the Goon Show is so, the Goon Show is so rawly satirical. I think that's why people well, don't spot it even. It's so obviously satirical, you know. You, you know. Yeah, well, in a way, he was dropped into England. Well, he was dropped into England unprepared. He was kind of cosseted, I suppose, yeah. um, in India, and then dropped into this world, and was and had an outsider's view of it all. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely, and and an outsider's view that um, that sort of. Uh, that means he doesn't. It, it, the, the, the sort of order of things he's not he's not going to take at face value. He's gonna. I mean, I think 
what what's so striking about listening to the Goon Show um, is 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 how it, it's all about a large amount of it is about class, and yes. uh, although he'd never say that, he you know Milligan isn't doing it in a sort of self consciously activist style, or he's not you know he's not he's he's not he ain't no Marxist club, you know he's he's basically he's basically um, doing it because that's what he's encountering. All the all the all the sort of posh con men and uh, incompetent majors and you know I mean blood not uh, grip pipe thin all those people are like the sort of posh grifters that Milligan has run into who are of no discernible talent authority figures are, are all are all bust and everything and I think that's that's really interesting that's especially as we we like to tell ourselves at the Second World Wars when we all pull together nobly and what he said what Milligan's saying. You know, we incompetence and grifters led the way. Yes. I think that, that's that's a, that's that's a radical thing for someone to be saying. Well, that's right. I uh, always I always equate. I always think of characters like Dennis Price used to portray in yeah. British movies in the in the fifties. Yeah. He's the 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 public school war, uh, public school educated, but will touch you for a fiver, and you'll never see that again. You know. Yeah. And, and yeah. Exactly. Um, well, that and that 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 that's that's you know a, a huge part of the goon show and, and, and people knowing their place is a goon show thing too you know like um people like Eccles you know Blue Bottle get gleefully going to their deaths essentially yeah because they've been told to yeah, yeah absolutely sir no problem I think that's really interesting too I'm a bone specialist what do you want bones <laughs> I haven't got any bones. Nonsense, nonsense. You'd fall down without them. 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 <laughs> Take it, Joyce. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know for a fact that you have a large number of them tucked away somewhere. Have you been prying into my family album of x-rays? Mariotti, tell him what you found. Ah, it's a pretty spawn, my will. Mr. Sigurd, quietly. I'm getting nowhere fast tonight. So a Merry Christmas to you all. It's a pretty spawn, let me tell you, Mr. Sigurd. We have a very compromising X-ray photograph of two sets of bones. Yours and the ladies. It's a lie. We're just good friends. How much do you want for that extra? Ten pounds, Neddy, to be paid in money before Chapter 10. Yes. Yeah, when I had, um, I was speaking to Christopher Douglas, um, who's uh, uh, Ed Reardon from Ed Reardon's Week. Um, and, all right, all right, okay, yeah. Yeah, um, and he, I mean, he's no huge fan of the goons particularly, but he he's fascinated by post-war British radio comedy in general. Yeah, And yeah. what he said was, <clears throat> which was really... Um, it just it just cut through everything and it's such a, a a simple statement that just got to the nub he yeah. said the 1950s was the only decade of post-war british comedy that didn't really have any officer class comedy yeah yeah um i suppose you had muir and norden but you know they were writers weren't they more than yeah performers. yeah that's very that's a very that's a very interesting point that I mean that and you and you you know because the BBC periodically sort of discovers you know the, um, remember Matthew Sweet saying that the Lightly Lads was the BBC discovering the North yeah and obviously there'd been a you know because of Coronation Street that in the sort of memo you know 
go north and write and find something to write about. Yes. And you 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 get the feeling that you know because the because I mean the other thing the other thing, I mean the other thing to remember also is that in the fifties the BBC is essentially what not even twenty years old by nineteen fifty. It's it's brand new. It's had to react to a, a, you know the gigantic events of the war. It's it's trying to it's trying to um, not upset the apple car. I think that's the really interesting thing about the BBC is actually how really in the war it's a state broadcaster and, and, it, and you can't describe it as anything else. Mm. And so in in the fifties it's sort of trying to find its role. And the Goon Show is a big hit. And yet the BBC is terribly worried about it because they might say something rude and they're the state broadcaster. And how do they reconcile the anarchy of the, of the show? Because, you know, how rude the goon, show, goon shows are, once you know what the code is, yes. um, yeah. it's is, is quite striking, really. Um, and, you know, and they're doing it in plain sight. And clearly Milligan's having fun playing games with that aspect of it. Um, anyway, I mean, it, it, the, 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 the Beeb is all these things a brand new really um uh in, in the 50s or all of them well that's right i mean i think there was something like there was something like 30 bbc officials gunning for the goon show during its run yeah yeah you know yeah um and and that was because that was off the back of and, and the problem is you said it's such a it's satirical show and it was but but that got that got neutered when they would they would edit the shows for yeah. um, you know for overseas radio stations. They'd cut out all topical references and anything slightly saucy. Um, yeah, and those then those versions often tended to be the versions that would go out on the LP releases in the sixties yeah. and seventies. So yeah. people growing up, they would hear lots of gags and lots of explosions and all that sort of thing, but they wouldn't hear. Churchill impressions, or they wouldn't hear yeah. flip references yeah. to uh, receiving OBEs or knighthoods or, um, yeah. or things like that. And even, you know, in 1954, they were including um, recordings of Nazi rallies in goon shows, right. you know, you know, the C. Carl, right. C. Carl kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's less than 10 years after the end of the war. And it's just so radical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but also what's interesting about that is those. The, 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 our historical, the historical view and, of, of Nazi Germany and, and its position in British culture hadn't become fixed yet. And, and so, of course, they'd use that. Of course, they'd have that in the show. If the show's going to be relevant to what, what's going on in people's lives rather mm. than, mm. You, you know, I, that, that, I mean, it, it is very, very interesting that, that, cause, because I've heard, I've heard the sort of neutered versions because th- those are the only versions that are on offer. And, and the, I mean, I love the, as a kid, I love the funny voices. I love, as an adult, I love the sort of absolute like, stream consciousness kind of free association of a lot of it. Um, and, the, you know, the, the, the Milligan is obviously also using the um, constraints that are being put on it as a way of inspiring himself and, and finding his way of manoeuvring around them. So, so the, the pressure he's under creatively is generating it, um, creative energy it's helping him in a, in a, you know although he, i'm sure he'd have never agreed with that but uh it's it, it sort of it's giving him something to kick against which is sort of good i mean that's obviously not why the bbc were doing it that's been BBC were doing it but, but at least it's happening but i yeah. don't know i mean i yeah the the the, the, the it, it stands to reason that the shows would obviously have contemporary 
grit in them because uh, uh, otherwise otherwise they are just silly voices shows and then you're like well what, what is going on why are they so why do people love them so there's now pretty much most series five shows onwards because because pre yeah. pre-series five most of the shows didn't get kept yeah um but sort of from 54 onwards they you know every show was available pretty much and now with the bits that were edited out put back in yeah. so i'm i'm listening to these again because i grew up you know as a teenager i discovered them in the 80s and listened to them voraciously and then sort of drifted away for about 30 years and now i've come back to them and i'm revisiting them yeah and it's amazing it the last 12 months i've been doing this just re-listening to shows that are that are as they went out in the 50s with the references to you know so much churchill i mean just just last week i, I recorded an episode about the goon show episode wings over dagenham and and that's a set that's basically about a, um, the invention of the airplane and the airplane is invented in a workshop based on lyle street yeah okay and i grew up listening to the edited version and lyle street you know was just you know it's just a name you know yeah. um but then i re-listened to it restored and there was a bit put back in uh where ned says he he couldn't get he couldn't get the plane off the ground in lyle street and grit pipe then says well if you can't get off in lyle street you'll never get off anywhere right <laughs> and, and then i found out lyle street was a notorious red light district in soho <laughs> and right. um, um but obviously it was it was yanked out for overseas sales and all the rest of it um but it's just things like that and and references to strikes as well industrial action yeah um so much of it yeah yeah well because because of course of course of course that would all be in there um uh i mean i it, it is it, it i mean I, the, the thing i the thing i also find sort of um fascinating about it is i don't know how um how sort of Milligan kept himself, you know, one of the, the great stories, is all his biographies talk about, he was really suffering with his mental health at the time and uh, and how he kept it together and all that sort of thing. And that, that to me is, uh, is sort of an extraordinary mystery because, because they were on, they were on basically half the year, weren't they? They yeah. were on half the year, off half the year. I mean, d- delivering a show that, that was hugely successful, that made them all, that made them all famous um, uh, although radio famous, so there's this peculiar thing that that then afterwards, you know, that that that, that you know the Freds and things like that, it never quite, it never quite, they never quite find the solution to how to do it on TV, and then and then by the time they maybe could have figured that, sales is long gone. Um, it, 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 that Milligan kept it together and delivered this show, and I know he had help, and I know other people chip in, and I know other people take over the writing. In fact, at, at, at times, it's quite extraordinary that he did this. And that it, and just the pressure alone of that might drive you crazy. You know, it's a heroic story of of, of a, a comedy writer um, uh, delivering something truly amazing, entirely within his vision. You know, stopping the intervention of the, those who would who would seek to change and wreck it and all that sort of thing. It's an amazing. He's such a hero, Milligan. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I know his copybook is appallingly blotted by. <laughs> Some of his later, later output, yeah. but it, it, um, it, I think he's, a, he's he's such an incredible figure. I mean, I, that someone could deliver like that for, for, for I don't know, best part of a decade is incredible. 
That's the thing. And I think, I think he resented Michael Benteen. Well, I know he did. Yeah. When Michael Benteen was there at the beginning and then he moved on because there just wasn't room. Yeah. It was, there was two big personalities that were just locking, locking horns all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think he resent he, 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 throughout the fifties, he resented the BBC in some cases, rightly so. And yeah, he was paid less than the other two for a start. Oh, which is amazing. Yeah. I don't think he resented them for that. And why should he really? I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he was in awe of Peter Sellers. He was absolutely, he was Sellers' biggest fan in a way, just in yeah. terms of what Sellers could do. Yeah. But he, I think he kind of did, there was possibly a, a bit of resentment in the sense that, you know, they could be on tour, they could be doing variety all during the week and appearing on TV and whatnot while he had to write. And then they just pitched up at the Camden Theatre on a Sunday yeah. and performed. And I, I think, you know, he found that hard going. And all through, if you look at, old newspaper archives all through the 50s every year there's some article about peter sellers saying shall i leave the goon show readers and become a film star kind of thing you know um so obviously sellers was always gunning to make it on on film and he did and i think yeah milligan felt he almost was in with a chance of emulating that in a way because he got he got a, a contract to make films for MGM or a number of films for MGM in the late fifties, early sixties. Yeah. And, and they all, but dis, they all, but sort of disappeared without trace. Ugh. And I think then he realized he kind of acknowledged, okay, that's, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, it's never going to happen. Yeah. 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 So, so then he, he did what he does best. He did plays, he did books, he did TV, like you say, yeah. some, some of it a bit ill-advised, but still, <laughs> um, <laughs> And when you and I were in contact previously, you dug out the Goon Show scripts. Yes. Well, this is this is this is my contact with the Goons. It's the Goon Show script. So, again, like my my parents, just as they had, you know, the Milligan the Milligan books in a in the in the loo. Yeah. Also had a, a Goon Show script, the one that was published in like 1972, which has got uh, Batter Pudding Hurler. Um, I, I can't remember. I can't remember what else is in it. And mm. I, I and, and I, so my first actual proper encounter um, with the goons is is reading them, um, and and not knowing what the voices were, not knowing what any of it kind of was, and having to sort of imagine it all. And then I'd say to my dad, you know, what what does Eccles sound like? And he'd do his Eccles. Yeah. And, and who, what's grip pipe thin? Who's he? What's that? And I'd sort of create this kind of sonic picture for myself, having never heard it. For 30 days we drifted to and fro. Then hunger came upon us. Oh, 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 oh. if I don't eat soon, I, I'll die of hunger. And if I die, I won't eat soon. <laughs> Wait a moment. <laughs> Can I smell cooking, or do my ears deceive me? He was right. Something was cooking. There in the other end of the lifeboat was a gas stove. Could this be the end of our search? I'll knock on the oven door. Just a minute, please. I'm in the bath. <laughs> Oh, 
Hello. Good morning. I... You? Yes. Remember Bex Hill? I lent you the matches. You don't want them back? Don't move. I arrest you as the dreaded batter pudding hurler. Sacre blood. Hands up, you devil. Don't move. This finger is loaded. If you kill me, I promise you, you'll never take me alive. How can we prove he's the hurler? That batter pudding in the corner of the stove is all the evidence we need. We've got him. I'm fairly sure I um, taped me doing the, doing the voices. Oh, yeah. There'll be some cassette somewhere of me going, Mini! Yeah. All that sort of thing. But, but it, would have, it would have been the first scripts I ever read of any, of any you know, beyond, beyond doing, you know, doing, looking at Shakespeare in English at school. The first scripts I read. So what's Grams? What's um, FX? Yes. What, what's yeah. going on here? What's happening? And it... It really, really shaped my view, kind of like what's what's possible, you know, what what's possible on radio. And I remember the, being really into radioactive on Radio Four because they seem to have they seem to have got their heads around the idea that you needed to, you know, it's not a sitcom. It's it's got to be it's got to occupy a different space to just a sort of straight sketch thing. Yeah. And and I remember <laughs> then I remember when I got to uni. Sort of Vic, or after university, Vic and Bob were a big thing, and I remember sort of being. I mean, I love Vic and Bob, but I remember saying, "Come on, this is the goods. This is the. This is completely in line with what Milligan was doing uh, uh, in the in the in the fifties, and then in the and then what he was doing on TV in a Q series. It's completely in this genealogy, surely. Yeah, yeah. And all my all my clever mates go, no, 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 no this is truly revolution. It's nothing like, you and your goon shows, nothing like that, you have a goon show with your silly voices. And I'm thinking, no, this is the, this is the, the judge that they used to do on Vic, on Big Night Out. Judge, Judge Not Meg. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, what, if, if that were in the goon show, you wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Straight out of it. And that's not that, which is, again, isn't to, isn't to say I don't, you know, I love Vic and Bob. I think they're amazing. Mm. And interestingly, they're also, they're not officer class, are they? That that's the other thing is that they're that they're coming at it from from that different that different perspective and the, the, the satire they do, the TV send-ups they do. I mean, the TV send-ups they do, they used to do smell of reason Mortimer, again really remind me of Q in lots of ways. Yeah. But uh, yes. sort of absurd, absurd makeup and sort of strange costumes with big feet and stuff. And it's all sort of all quite spike that. I think of Smell of Reason Mortimer. I think of Steve Coogan before he was famous yep. with a with a prosthetic, ridiculous chin. And a, yep. or, or, was it, or was it a big forehead? I'm not quite sure. I can't remember now. Yeah, yeah. Cr- crying. Yeah. And he's and apparently he's the lead singer of Go West and he's he's lost his top cat video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's and it's not a it's not a criticism. It's a like I this is the this is the stuff I really love that people people completely prepared to be silly. An Dunkirk! What? Dunkirk! <laughs> so you're a go west crying? Timbarrow! Atim! What? Dunkirk! Someone's stolen his Top Cat video! Oh no! It's ridiculous! I've never heard anything so preposterous in my life! Neither have I! Oh, that's What's been going on here? Oh, have you lost your Top Cat video? <laughs> I know how you feel. I lost a very dear relative recently. You told me it was a very dear wristwatch. Wristwatch? Yeah, wristwatch. <laughs> I know it was, but my uncle was wearing it when I shot him. 
<laughs> anyway, that's not half as bad as this fella's loss. Blubber, didn't he? Yeah. So I had these scripts, and, I, and and the thing is, is then of course what you do is you finally get because you, you'd have to buy tapes. It used to be quite difficult to get hold of a good show. Finally, you get hold of the thing and you listen to it with the script, and you think, right, okay. The the, the picture in my head wasn't exactly yeah. uh, wasn't yeah. exactly right, but but the, the sort of um, how vividly they're written in terms of what Spike's trying to get out of what the um, what, what they could do on the radio is very, very interesting. And how well he knew um, what they could do with, you know, Grams and FX and how well he knew what um, that uh, he could do and what Sellers could do and what Seacom was capable of and then everyone else, Greenslade and all, you know, the other cast of characters. Like, it, it, it's, they're, they're, they're amazingly well written in that regard. He's absolutely in control of his materials. Certainly by that point, because uh, um, Batter Pudding Hurler's when they're well established isn't it so yeah um, but that that script is like it, it's all there it's completely like ideal in, in, in its execution and, and in and in what's on the page yeah that was that was <clears throat> i'm going to sound completely nerdy here but that was about that was something like the 103rd goon show that they oh, recorded yeah. okay um yeah. and i only know that because i won't go into why i know that but um uh <laughs> But if you look at the sort of 90-odd goon shows before that show, yeah, th- they weren't fully real. They, 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 they were yeah. still, a lot of them were still pretty raw. A lot of them, the earlier ones were sketch-based. You know, they weren't, there wasn't a, a running narrative. Some yeah. of the characters were ill-defined or hadn't been developed properly. And, yeah. um, and it's really from series five that, in which Better Pudding is part, you know, part of, that um, it's, it's yeah. almost like they've gone away at the end of series four and they've, yeah. I don't know, uh, to use that terrible phrase, workshopped for the whole summer yeah. or something and come yeah. back, come yeah. back um, tr- totally transformed. But it's fascinating, isn't that? Because because they're given four, so they're given four series to, to figure it out, which is like the most amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 um, and in high profile and with people listening, and, and it's fascinating that, 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 they're, that they're able to do that and think, yeah, people are listening to this. We're four series in, but we haven't got it right yet, so we still need to fix it. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So, were you much of a Python fan? Well, yeah, but but um, I I think I my problem is is I came at Python. Um, uh, I came at Python via the films, right? right yeah. Um, I came at Python via Life Brian. And so, you know, um, immediately, we, we, there we are, the Goon Show again. But, but, but what I love about, look, why I think, because I think that's their best film by a really long way. Mm. And, and, and the reason I, and I, I do like Holy Grail, I don't much like Me the Life. The, nah. the, the reason, the, the, I mean, very strange sort of uh, uh, that third film. But, but, but what, what I think is brilliant about it, and it's sort of like, you know, Harry Hilding, Chief and Burt, and stay with me with this analogy, it will work, is that when you've got that, uh, Python were, were obviously a brilliant crew, but what they, I think they always needed was a subject. And mm. Life of Brian, because they're having, they, they've got to chain themselves to the story and make their point. All of the sort of Python uh, kind of nuttiness and the sort of throwing sketches away and all that has to serve a higher 
purpose rather than kind of we're we're breaking boundaries here. Isn't it interesting that we're disrupting the sketch show? Sort of mm. Thing. Mm. And that's that. That I think, strangely enough, serves them best. And and then and then you know some now for something completely different is a best of, and it really is a best of. I think. Yeah. Uh, and so when you go back and sort of grind your way through the series, you realise that that film is a very much a best of. And that obviously sketch shows are hit and miss and they were very fortunate to be allowed the freedom to hit and miss. But, but it, it's, it's off a, it, it, again, it's officer class. And I'm, you know, I'm an officer class person, you know, make, make, make no mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It always, it always feels like, and, you know, obviously Python's massively influential and incredibly important. But again, when Cleese does Forty Towers, I kind of feel finally they've put, finally they've put this sort of um, finely tuned stallion to use. They've run him in a race rather than <laughs> um, had him had him do headstands. Do, do, do you know what I mean? And he said he's Cleese said that himself about Forty Towers. I was I was pleased finally to actually just do comedy that had to have a beginning and a middle and an end, and had to have jokes rather than just destroy jokes or throw jokes away. That I was sort of set free by having to do a format. Yeah. And and I think that's what's brilliant about Life of Brian is they're set free by, uh, I've, I've taught, so there you go. I found what I was trying to say. Uh, in the same way, Harry Hill's worldview, if you, if you have it talk about television, it is more, it is more sort of, it, it works better rather than sort of the vacuum of just his worldview, just his way of looking at things, I think. Yes. I think that's the case with Python, with Life of Brian and why Meaning of Life doesn't work because they've, they haven't actually disciplined themselves and channeled themselves into a thing. It's why it's why actually Holy Grail works is pretty good, but it doesn't, I just, you know, Arthurian legends, you're taking the piss out of something that, well, whatever, but when you're doing messianic religion, you're absolutely, you're landing a blow quite spectacularly. Um, uh, their, their appliance of that there is, you know, their style to that subject lands the blows really brilliantly. And, and I sort of, um, yeah, but but they are so. It strikes me they were so in the Goon Show debt, and they were showing so in the death of Q. I mean, Palin says so. So I, I, you know, it's not it's not unacknowledged, but it's the fact that I often feel that, that it, it doesn't matter that Monty Python know that. It's other people ought to know that. You know, if you want more of that, go look go look at what Milligan was doing. If that's what you want, sketches that fracture or things that fall apart or things that comment on themselves and all that sort of stuff, and and things that comment on themselves long before anyone. That came up with the idea of postmodernism. You know, he was doing that yeah, right yeah. from the off. I mean, you, 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 I think with, with Python, you have to decide that you, you're into it rather than they, they don't attempt to convince you or anything. <laughs> you know, they don't, there's not much of a drawbridge down with Python. You sort of, you have to, you, you, you have to be in on it. And that's, again, that's why I think, you know, Life of Brian is such a powerful film because it's about, it's about a subject everyone knows about rather than just kind of absurd um, stuff. Yeah, there, there are brilliant bits, but but yeah, I find I find it's quite cold. Is the the other thing? Yes, maybe maybe, maybe that's it. And the, the thing is, is that the thing is, is they are absolutely from my. You know, I'm of that background. I'm, I'm you know, if there was a program ever that was sort of that you, if that's how you formed your taste, just to you know, if, if, identity politics view of what comedy you should like. Um, I ought to I mm. ought to like Monty Python. Yeah, because right? because they're Oxbridge and they're middle class and their, uh, uh, you know, all that sort of thing. And, and yet some of it I find kind of uh, really, really cold and, and, a, and, a, and a wearing their brains on their sleeves and all that sort of stuff, which doesn't necessarily appeal to me. Yeah. David, David Quanticon last year, and he said, um, 
he said the opposite. He said um, he was predisposed not to like Python. He right. said, just because I guess because of his upbringing. And he said, um, it just, it smacked of six formers showing off. So he yeah. put it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 I can see that. Well, which is why when I was a sixth former, so many people liked it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, um, I mean, it's very interesting that people are now going back to have another look at Spike because, you know, Nick Newman, Nick Newman uh, and Ian Islop have done that play about, yeah. really about him, him being uh, a thorn in the BBC side and, and, and how satirically was actually and all that sort of thing. And I, 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 I mean... I think a sort of it would be very interesting to see if there is a way of of readdressing Spike and and where you know where he where he sits in things and his war memoirs are I think genuinely one of the best Second World War memoirs you could ever read and you can you can you can read you could read all sorts of things from them that that perhaps weren't necessarily obvious I mean one of the historians I've worked with on the podcast his thing is that that um. He's into a thing he calls boring war. He's not interested in battles. He's interested in logistics, right? And when you read when you read Spike's memoirs, his point gets proven. Wherever they go, they're never hungry. The, the men in Spike's battery, Chase Jack's battery, are always well fed and are always well looked after. And you think, right? So that that actually, he's telling us that. And that 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 when you when you think of the war in a different way, you it, it illuminates things. And he's. Those memoirs, I think, um, are some of the greatest books about friendship you'll ever read. Mm, yeah, totally. as well as being a historical record. And I think, um, you know, I would, I would say, you know, the the, the interesting thing about Milligan is the sort of, um, uh, uh, and given all the things people say about him, is that the man's humanity is like laid bare. He doesn't hide anything, and that's a that's a fascinating thing. There's no, he's not. Um... He doesn't hold back. Yeah. Doesn't hold back, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think he was working through stuff, wasn't he? It was it was yeah. a part of the it's kind of a catharsis writing these yeah. memoirs. He was working through stuff that had happened, what, 20, 30 years before. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's very interesting because people do people do love them, but he got um Clive James gave him a real kicking, said that they were, you know, that they were bullshit, they're unreliable, and all this sort of thing. And uh, which, which is always to me, has been a source of great disappointment because I love absolutely love both both those guys, and it's it felt like they were falling out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss Clive James. Oh yeah. So, so you got them. You, you, you're touring Scotland at the moment, and well, we're winding up. For the, we're winding up for the summer. Then we got the fringe in August. Then I'm out again for the rest of the year. So we're out until no. So we're out September, October, November, really. It, it just, it just, it just, touring just rolls on forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but luckily I like it. So well, if the, um, if the pub landlord work dries up, you could consider uh, becoming a Mick Lynch tribute act. Maybe. <laughs> what do you reckon? It, it, it's amazing, isn't it? 10 days ago, no one, no one really knew who Mick Lynch was. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, listen, Al, thank you so much for, for, finding time to speak to me today and um, I wish you all the best with the with you know uh, with the show with um, with everything basically and um, and uh, you know maybe we will speak again maybe I'll see you in Salford when you when you tour in Salford yeah well no uh, get in touch and we'll 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 make sure you're at the show don't worry thanks again to Al thank you for listening I will be back next week with uh, another show till then take it easy 
Bye.